So the Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've literally been given the, the ability to place and direct people's treasure. That means their heart is going to be drawn along after that. So there's this stewardship responsibility that I have as a financial professional to be mindful that my decisions and my work have consequences in other people's lives. Hello and welcome to Faith at the Frontiers, a podcast that confronts challenges to the Christian faith with hope. I'm Carmody, one of the podcast hosts, and this episode is part of our series on economics. We have a chat with Robert Netsley, the CEO of an American company called Inspire Investing, which, according to its own description, practices financial investment according to biblical principles. We asked Robert about one of the most controversial topics in contemporary economics and politics, ESG, which stands for Environmental and Social Governance. ESG has become a cultural flashpoint in recent years. Robert explains which side he is on and why. He also talks about the different moral responsibilities of investors on the one hand and consumers on the other, explains what is wrong with the prosperity gospel, and talks about how Christians can work in finance in good conscience. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to get a better understanding of a package of views which are extremely influential in the contemporary US landscape and therefore also in world politics. Thank you so much, Robert Netsley, for joining us on this podcast. It's a real honor and a privilege to have some of your time. Thank you very much. It is my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. So we we came across Robert by discovering him in the pages of The Economist, which is very, very exciting that we were then able to make make contact with him and invite him on the on the program. Listeners can tap into the previous episode where I d- described that article in a bit more detail. But in the this little column in The Economist, Robert was described as, as occupying a particular position in a possible spectrum of Christian relationships with, um, with investment and with finance in general, and was kind of compared with, with one other voice in particular, who, who, who took a different view on, on this question of ESG and the question of exactly how Christian, um, what Christian investment or Christian finance uh, should look like. Did you know about that article, Robert? Yes, yes. I've read the article. It was wonderful being interviewed. Uh, economists, we're happy to have that uh, content out there in The Economist. It's wonderful. Yeah. So maybe maybe you can kick off, Robert, by telling us a bit about your your distinctive approach to these questions about how Christianity and money relate to each other, right? That was the framing of the article. The article's called God and Mammon. What do Christians do with money? What should they do with money? And what do you and your your company, Inspire Investing, what do you personally bring to that in terms of perspective? Yeah, so at Inspire Investing, uh, our whole goal is to help every Christian invest for the glory of God. Uh, that is the, the start and finish of everything. And of course, you got to fill in the blanks with quality and excellence and, and everything that investors expect and, and deserve, uh, particularly when we're holding out the name of Christ in the marketplace, you know, from a financial product. But it all points to the glory of God. And how do you do that? You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So what does that look like? Uh, to us, that means three things that, number one, we exclude companies that are acting at odds with, with God's purposes. You know, if, are they manufacturing abortion drugs? Are they selling uh, pornography? Are they, you know, uh, harming people through their supply chains or human trafficking issues? I and mean, there's a whole list of things that Christians would be, and, and frankly, other just well-meaning people uh, their jaws would drop if you saw what was going on in your portfolios. It, I mean, that's my personal story. Is, is, it just was incredibly uh-huh. convicting. So that's number one, exclude the bad actors, right? Uh, number two, uh-huh. we want to engage with companies that are, uh, maybe they need a little help, right? We, we get very involved in shareholder activism and helping to speak biblical truth to corporate power. And we've got some really exciting stories there that God's given us. And then three, we endorse. We, we try to invest proactively in those most biblically aligned, most inspiring, most positive companies we can find that are really a blessing to those who use their, uh, you know, their customers, their workforce, the world in general, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of a three-pronged approach that we, we take investing at Inspire. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you give us a, a little bit of detail? We can come back to this, but this is just to kind of frame the conversation, a little bit of detail about the, the, the particular angle that Inspire and, or let, let's say that you yourself have taken on a whole package of approaches to responsible investing that's come to be known as ESG. You don't have to go into detail. We can come back to this, but this is just a kind of first overview. Well, I think we could start by, by defining a little bit what ESG is, and, and we may need one or two definitions before we can get to the point of it. Uh, but for our listeners who don't know what ESG is, could you start with that? 
Uh, yes, environmental, social, and governance, ESG investing. So what should be a rather mundane topic, right? Looking at environmental issues and companies, social issues and companies, corporate governance issues and companies, and how that may relate to investment outcomes and risk management. You know, are, are companies skirting environmental rules and only to get slapped with fines later? That affects investors, right? It's also an ethical issue. Social issues like abortion, uh, abortifacients, and all sorts of different things uh, that affect companies in a variety of ways. Um, corporate governance, of course, you know, fraud, bribery, et cetera. I and mean, there's lots of different, there's, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of categories that would just bore everybody listening here if we got into the minutia, but that's generally the idea, right? Now, you can have various viewpoints on the environment or social or governance issues. So we are, as Christian investors, as biblically responsible investors, as we call it, it's uh, we're trying to say, okay, well, the Bible is the truth. It's our guides, what God has given us uh, to live our life and to know what glorifies God. And so how do we look at environmental, social, and governance issues through a biblical worldview, which often in many ways is, is the same as a secular investor might look at, you know, corporate governance, for instance, you know, bribery is bad. Fraud is bad. I mean, those obviously human trafficking bad, right? However, there's issues, for instance, on, I, I mentioned the abortion issue. We might diverge sharply on our views there. If we believe that human life begins at conception and then you have a company over here that's paying their employees to travel to and here in the United States to other states so that they can have an abortion in the states where it's legal or you know, manufacturing abortion drugs. I mean, that is a, a direct contrast. So we would have a different viewpoint maybe than a secular investor uh, would have on that particular issue and and some others as well. Mm. Barney, does that satisfy you as a, as a description of ESG? Yeah, so it seems what you're saying is ESG, like on the face of it, it looks like something that everybody would agree with. It's just looking at the environmental and social impact and the governance impact of financial investing. Under the hood, there might be disagreement about what kind of social impact we want or need, and there Christians might disagree with non-Christians on it. Am I right in understanding? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's you, you've got it. And, and here in the United States, again, the, the term ESG has sadly really been, I think, weaponized by a certain far-left sort of extremist group um, that is trying to push political and social agendas that are, are really... Um, you know, oftentimes market Marxist, social Marxists, or just really anti-biblical, uh, trying to roll back the religious freedoms that we have in the United States, trying to oppress biblical viewpoints through the workforce, and trying to employ ESG as a as a way to turn corporations in favor of their political viewpoints. So it's it's become a very problematic issue here in the United States to the point where we have we disavowed ESG as a firm. Like, so we, we do, we're Christians. We, we invest biblically. Um, at this point, we can't really say that we're ESG investors because it's confusing to people to hear ESG and also you're Christians. Yeah. How can that be possible? Right now it's, it's strictly speaking, it shouldn't be a problem of definitions, but just in our really bifurcated, socially polarized, politically polarized world we live in right now it's it has become muddled unfortunately so there's a lot of layers to that esg term uh, that could get unfolded so depending on who's listening and what you know other podcasts you may or may not listen to you might have totally different viewpoints on what those three letters mean so it's uh it's quite interesting. totally it, it might not be obvious to all of our listeners why sort of marxism is so contrary to biblical principles do you want to outline that for a second yeah, well, there's, there's probably a long list, and I'm certainly no expert on, uh, you know, on the details there on the minutia. But um, for our purposes, it really comes down to religious freedoms. So in the United States, uh, there are force, forces at work trying to remove, for instance, remove a uh, a Christians or any any person of faith who might have a certain viewpoint on definition of marriage. Right. So if I, because of my biblical views and, and my faith believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, I'm currently free to express that belief, right? Hopefully in a kind, loving way, but I, I'm free to hold that belief publicly in the United States. Uh, there are forces that would like to see that undermined, and they are avowing themselves as Marxists, you know, and or democratic socialists or, or other terms uh, that they might use. And, uh, you know, it's probably perhaps a unique United States issue. I'm not sure how relevant that is to folks across uh, across the pond, as you say. Uh, again, how you define Marxism or even think about that, you know, could be very different, you know, depending on who you are. 
So, uh, but in the United States, that again, that's sort of the the bent is trying to make it law that we, you know, we can't hold biblical viewpoints and we can't speak about these things. I have friends who's, who teach uh, their professors at um, public universities, for instance, and um, they've been the subject of witch hunts, uh, essentially, and anonymous, you know, hate mail and uh, uh, even lawsuits being brought uh, just because they are conservative Christians and uh, hold certain viewpoints as professors, not that they're trying to push it, push it in their classes, even. It's just, it's just sad, right? It, it's, it's sad, that kind of attack. So um, obviously we'd like to preserve religious freedom uh, as an investing group, and that's where we're at. So the, the concern, to kind of summarize, Robert, the concern with ESGs is that they're environmental goals have been wrapped up with various other kind of social and political goals with which they don't, let's say, have any necessary alliance, but they've been bundled together. And that for you as a as an individual and as a company, it became that you you felt forced to divest from ESGs precisely because of this alliance of of different issues, some of which contradict biblical principles in your understanding. Certainly. So in my view, in, in an ideal Pollyanna world, you know, there, there should be a two-party ESG system at minimum, right? So if you believe certain things about the world from a, let's say, Marxist viewpoint or you know, just totally secular humanist world, you know, worldview, okay, fine. So you should be free to invest according to your viewpoints. Wonderful. Well, as believers or conservatives or whatever other group, well, we should be also free to invest according to our viewpoints on those ESG issues. Um, but what's happened is there's a fight over the actual definition of what ESG is. And rather than accommodating multiple viewpoints and truly being, you know, ironically, instead of truly being tolerant of multiple viewpoints and a plurality of viewpoints, it's been hardened and hijacked to say, look, you know, ESG must be my specific far left. I mean, I'll emphasize extremely far left viewpoint. Um, and if anybody says otherwise, you come under attack. And there's a push to try to even get that regulated at a national level here and with the Securities and Exchange Commission, our federal regulatory body, to try to you know, harden these, this definition of this far left definition of ESG so that anybody else who calls themselves ESG, if they don't adhere to that, they can actually be you know, run that. into regulatory issues. Right? Whole package. Yeah. yeah, so it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's very yeah. problematic. So um, at this point, it seems relatively sort of simple. You've divided companies into basically good companies that do good things that you want to invest in and bad companies that do bad things that you you choose not to invest in. But have you ever encountered instances where it's somewhat a gray area where a company does some good things, does some bad things? How do you deal with sort of the grayer areas in that in investing? Yeah, great question. And every you know, every company has some element of good and bad, right? And and certainly there's no yeah. you know, holy company. They, they all employ people. <laughs> and guess what? That's yes. the problem. So uh, including my company right here, right? Chief of Center sitting here, CEO, Inspire Investing. Um, so we have problems too. So it's just, uh, we have, we use what's what's called our Inspire Impact Score methodology. So we've taken a very rules-based methodolo methodological approach to identify quantitatively what issues we are excluding and what counts as those issues, you know, what sort of violations will count in those categories and which are positive. So for our purposes, we have certain zero tolerance issues, abortion, pornography, human trafficking, you know, very like inherently sinful mm -hmm. issues. So if there's an abortion drug manufacturer that is doing lots of other great things, right? Giving money to schools and like cleaning parks and, you know, providing great health benefits to their employees and everything else, but you're manufacturing abortion drugs. It doesn't matter to me how much good you're doing. I cannot, as an investor, make money, profit from abortions with a good conscience. So I'm not going to own that company. Um, so there isn't really this balancing scale of, well, does the good outweigh the bad and then I'll invest in it. There's other issues like alcohol, for instance. Okay. I'm, I will have a beer with you, right? And I'll even maybe have a nice glass of scotch with you. Right. But uh, maybe not a whole bottle, but, you know, a glass, you know, there's there's a there's a spectrum there. So alcohol, alcohol is not necessarily sinful. Right. It's not inherently sinful. But a lot of people, you know, maybe they have alcoholism in their personal history, their family history. They don't want anything to do with that industry. So in those sorts of instances where investors really do have a freedom of conscience, uh, Christian freedom to uh, make a call 
I, do I want to invest in this company or not? And, and kind of what does that look like, right? Uh, other issues, again, I don't think we really have a, a choice necessarily because abortion is wrong. Pornography is wrong. Those are kind of black and white issues and we shouldn't be making money on those. The Bible has lots to say about that. Mm. Yeah, so, so for you, it isn't really a gray area in the usual sense. It's kind of like there are just things that you cannot in good conscience make money from. And if that exists at all as part of the portfolio, then it's just a, that's not an option. Well, yeah. So the, the, the line we draw is we cannot, as Christians, be complicit in the profits of sin, right? So, uh, there, I mean, again, there's a long list of scriptures we could go to and look at, you know, Proverbs, um, I believe it's chapter 16, you know, better is a little with righteousness than great gains with injustice. So, you know, mm-hmm. is it like, what's better? You know, making money or being righteous. I mean, there's no question in God's mind. And the truth is that all of us do that right now anyway. So anybody listening is like, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, as a good steward, I want to make money and I'll just give the profits of these companies, you know, away to church and like, great, I'm kind of like spiritual money laundering or something, right? It's just, uh, the, the thing is, we we all make these decisions already to forego potential returns in order to invest in a moral or ethical or legal way. Otherwise, we would all be invested in illicit drug rings, you know, illegal human trafficking, like all sorts of very profitable, I'd be slinging crack on the corner because I'd be making a lot of money doing that. But no, we would never do such a thing, right? Why? Because it's completely immoral, it ruins people's lives and it's illegal, it's against the law. So if we're going to limit our investment choices based on the law of man, what our government says is, is or is not legal, how much more so as children of God should we limit our investment choices based on what he says is allowable and legal in his law, right? So if if the UK or United States just decided, hey, selling crack is legal and you can have a publicly traded company that sells crack, like would we invest in that company? I hope not, right? So we, we really have to think about yeah. these things because some of those issues are in our portfolios right now. That's very interesting. I- I wonder if I could ask you about a slightly more controversial case that doesn't involve any of these really clear-cut issues. Uh, I'm sure you know that um, Amazon as a company has come under a lot of criticism from a certain quarter because of the way it treats its unskilled workers um, in rather harsh, uh, inhospitable conditions. And some people would say that that is against biblical principles because it violates the golden rule. And because if you read some of the Old Testament prophets, one of the things that they are most ang- they get most angry about is exploitation of the poor, you know. So would, would a company like Amazon be a company that you'd, your company would be happy investing in, or would that be a problem? Uh, Amazon, I believe, is one of the lowest scoring companies in our entire database of 24,000 plus companies that we have scores on. So it's, it's almost a negative 100 out of a possible negative 100. There's a lot of things they're doing wrong, um, and that would be one of them, right? I mean, they sell all sorts of heinous items, as you imagine. So that's a big problem. But yeah. certainly, I mean, a, a company must care for the people that it that it interacts with, right? Whether they're customers and selling them things that actually help them rather than hurt them. And if you've got laborers, right, uh, you should be taking care of them. And it's not okay to exploit them at all. It can be a gray area what you know, your definition of exploitation is. And in different countries and different contexts, there certainly is, it's like, well, is this, is it a relative issue? Like, well, these working conditions would be terrible in the United States, but they're actually a lot better than they are everywhere else in Vietnam or wherever it may be. There is a a measure of wisdom that we need to employ as as believers to know, okay, well, what is exploitation? What isn't? I mean, we're not paying workers in, uh, in that Vietnamese factory or whatever it is, the same wage as you do in the UK. Is that wrong? Should we just have a global minimum wage that's the same as developed nations? Well, probably not, you know, but... Well, I mean, it gets a bit complicated because it's not... I wouldn't say there's clear biblical guidance on some of these issues. You have to use some of your own wisdom, right? Right. How do you, So how do you do that? I mean, so overall, I mean, you can... I think you can make a, a call on a company as a, you know, given the whole just context of how that business is approaching and, and seeking, are they trying, you know, to do their best? And maybe they're just, yeah. you know, they need some help in execution. Maybe we need to engage with that company through shareholder resolutions. So our company and, and some mm. of our friends, we've actually filed shareholder resolutions with Amazon around the issues of viewpoint diversity and respecting, you know, uh, particular 
you know, viewpoints, conservative viewpoints, faith-based viewpoints, um, things of that nature. So we're, you know, engaging with these companies to help shine some light on problem areas. And I think that's a huge area. You know, yeah. we have an opportunity of, to be partners in the redemption, redemptive work of God as investors in a really powerful way. And a lot of times companies are just sort of going about their business and like oblivious that there's even a problem until someone just yes. pokes at it. And yeah. um, so sometimes yeah. we can do that. So, so what would you say about consumers? Do, do you think, because if Amazon scores very low on your list, that means you're not investing in them. Would you say that consumers also should never buy from Amazon, should avoid ever making purchases through Amazon for the same reason? That's one of the most common questions we get is, you know, well, I don't invest in Amazon. Do I need to stop shopping there? Right. There's a difference, biblically speaking, between the stewardship responsibility of an owner of a company and the customer at a company. So there's a very different responsibility there. So there is no hypocrisy or, you know, reason, legalistic reason that if I'm not owning the stock of a company, then I should also never shop there. So for instance, I could shop on Amazon. Personally, I try to limit my shopping on Amazon if I possibly can, right? But there's this feasibility these days. They have uh, a stranglehold on our economy in a lot of ways. So sometimes it's it's kind of where we have to go. But I can choose to buy things that are, you know, uh, books on theology, you know, or like raising godly children and like good stuff yeah. on Amazon. Um, or I could choose to buy things that are, you know, ridiculously evil on Amazon. That's my responsibility as a customer. Yeah. Right? What am I buying? I'm responsible for that. There's, I, I think there can be an issue of conscience. So my wife and I, like we, we've chosen to boycott certain companies for different times, for different reasons. And there's a time for that. So if your conscience is, you know, pricked there and, and you just, you feel like you shouldn't shop at Amazon, then you shouldn't shop at Amazon, right? You shouldn't buy that meat sold in the market if that's your conscience. But that doesn't mean that you should then tell every other Christian that because your conscience is that way, like they can't shop at Amazon either. Cause there is no clear dif- distinction for, uh, in scripture that, um, you know, you can't shop a certain place, you know, and like, so, you know, support that business. Well, it would, it would be hard for the Bible to say, don't shop at Amazon, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it actually speaks directly to the contrary. Right? Again, in that, uh, in the first Corinthians, uh, passages, um, where Paul is talking about meat sold in the marketplace, right? Some believers were like, I don't know, this meat was sold, it was sacrificed to idols. Should I buy it? I can't, you know, their consciences wouldn't let them buy that meat, eat that meat. And so they shouldn't, the apostle says, your conscience prohibits you. But others, they felt free. And he says, your freedom in Christ is okay. like that meat is just meat. And there's nothing wrong with eating it as long as your conscience is free. Now, that doesn't mean that our conscience is free. Like, well, my conscience isn't, isn't, uh, hasn't had problems, you know, buying pornography on Amazon. Well, there's a problem with your conscience if that's the case, right? Because God's word does say some very clear things about that. But we do have freedom yeah, in our purchase. But, but what about what about buying? Say say so. You said that you're not going to invest in any company that, even if it's the t- smallest thing that it does, it, it produces abortion products or something. But w- what do you say? You've made this distinction between investing and buying from. So do you think it would be okay to buy from a company who, as as well as some of the other things they do, also produces abortion products, for example? Uh, certainly. So, um, there's a lot of large pharmaceutical companies that sell abortifacient drugs and, and other sorts yeah. of things. They also may make antibiotics that my kids need or something like that. So I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong with buying again. It's, it's voting with your dollars, right? Make more of, you know, this medicine my kid needs. That's, that's really great and has, has high value and stop making that because I'm not going to buy that. Right. So as consumers, that's how we're helping to influence a company. Again, as a consumer, if my conscience prohibits me, then you should you know, list your conscience in that because uh, that is the Lord leading you. But uh, there is no biblical mandate to not shop here or shop here. Now, the, the difference is to complete that thought as, a, as an owner of a company. My experience is that, that many investors sort of see investing, you know, buying a stock or mutual fund and invest in these stocks it, just the same as shopping at a company. It's like, well, my money is going to that company. And I'm supporting that company. And so therefore, I, I don't want to support it. But that's not really that's not what's happening when you invest on the secondary market. So when you buy a stock or or whatnot on the on the stock exchange, the company's not getting any of that money. Your money is actually going to whoever sold the stock, right? It's not an it's not an initial public offering. You're very indirectly maybe supporting the company. But so what's the moral issue? 
The moral issue is that now you're an owner of the company, and when they sell that abortion drug, it could be just a little bit of your profits, but that's actually making it into your account. You're profiting from that, right? So if I if I open a video store on the corner, if there were such a thing anymore, you know, this corner of video stores, if I open that store, would I choose to sell pornography in the back room? As a Christian, that would be incredibly immoral of me to do, right? Very hypocritical yeah. of me to do because I'd be making money on the rental of those items. Okay, so do I invest in Netflix? Have you seen what's on Netflix? I hope not because it's terrible what's on Netflix. And uh, <laughs> it's, you know, so if I own a stock in Netflix, then I'm making money on the sale of pornography. So it's, it's the same issue. So it's the it's the profiting from as an owner that's the, that's the issue. As a customer, you're not profiting from the sale of other things. You're just simply buying, choosing to buy, right? What you buy. So, so it seems to me that what you're interested in here is as an individual, making sure you avoid ever making a profit out of something that you would call unbiblical, but you're not actually interested in sort of trying to shape the economic um, choices that people have by, say, boycotting a company uh, so that they they have to change their policies, that kind of stuff. You're, you're not interested in trying to change society, just in making sure that you as an individual are kept free from uh, benefiting from sinful pra practices. Is that right? Well, I wouldn't say we're not interested in it, but it is secondary, right? So uh, primary, okay. like we are to glorify God in all that we do. So what does that mean? That includes yeah. personal holiness, that includes witnessing, right? It includes being salt and light, uh, letting our lights so shine before men that they see our good deeds and praise our Father who is in heaven. So yeah. it, it must start as a church with our dedication to the Lord, mm. right? As an example, as a witness to all those that are watching. Now, secondarily, our hope and our prayer is that the world is watching and would be drawn to Christ through that, even in, a, in some small way, closer to the Lord, right? They would see Jesus in our choices. And uh, so certainly we're interested in changing the world for the glory of God. Uh, that's the only reason we're yeah. still alive until Jesus comes back. Um, but we cannot really do that if we're morally compromised. And so we no, just absolutely like in every not. other aspect. But you, you, you don't think that it's morally compromised to buy products from a company that you would consider bad only to invest in it? Yeah. Uh, no, I think the Bible makes no distinction there. In fact, I think, again, as we discussed, the Bible actually yeah. gives us freedom to buy from, and, and frankly, every business is yeah. sinful. So go find a holy yeah. Christian business. Like you're not going to find one, right? It just yeah. depends on what we buy. Are we buying things that are immoral? Then obviously that's a problem. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. But that's where our responsibility stops as a consumer. No, that's, that's, that's clear. Thank you very much. Now, can we talk a little bit about what are the biblical principles? So you've outlined several biblical principles about abortion, about pornography. Does sort of care for the environment seeking to prevent climate change, that whole sort of bag of issues, does that fall for you under the category of a biblical issue? Uh, certainly at a, at a different degree. Uh, I think, again, there's from an exclusionary criterion, abortion ends a life now, right? Versus environmental yeah. stewardship is sort of a, a longer term. You know, there's lots of principles and there's, there's a lot of moving parts there. So as Christians, we are called to steward the environment well. The environment is here to serve our needs as, as humanity. We're also called to, to use what God has created, you know, for our benefit, for his glory, for our joy. Um, so there's oftentimes a, a mismatch there where people who care for the environment deeply, maybe it's like, well, humanity and environment are equal partners in this whole thing and valued equally, or maybe the environment has, you know, a leg up on humanity sometimes. That's a problem. Uh, and so we're definitely not in that camp. And so, for instance, we invest in oil companies. Like, we don't have any problem investing in oil companies. We don't find the oil industry to be immoral. We do believe that oil companies and mining companies and others who, you know, are in, in that sort of business have a deep responsibility to go about their work in a way that is, uh, is a careful steward of the environment as much as possible, right, while we're extracting things that we do need. And everybody here still needs oil. As we've been reminded recently with all of the Russian issues, like we all still need fossil fuels. We need metals that we dig out of the ground. And so we're here to uh, invest in companies that show above average uh, stewardship relative to their industry peers, right? So we do invest in those, in those industries, but we score those companies higher that are exhibiting, again, above average 
stewardship and care for the environment relative to their industry peers. All right, so we don't compare, you know, a um, you know an oil company to a say you know shoe manufacturer. I mean, it's totally different issues, right? So we compare oil companies to yeah. oil companies, right? And how how well are they stewarding the environment? This has been very, very interesting. And actually something we haven't covered in the podcast so far is this this question of consumer ethics versus investor ethics. It's really interesting to hear your point of view, Robert. So in the same vein, maybe seeing as we're talking about biblical principles and their impact on our, if you like, our, our economic activity in the most general sense, lots of people are aware that particularly in the teaching of Jesus, there's a, f- a fairly heavy suspicion towards what Jesus calls mammon, right? Towards towards money and towards the motive to have money, to gain money, to keep money, or indeed material wealth in general. And probably most of our listeners don't need reminding what some of those texts are, but it's things like where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, you know, and treasure on earth corrupts. Um, and Jesus right. saying you can't serve two masters. Uh, you have to choose between God and mammon. And also talking right. about giving everything away and sort of practicing a total and also literal detachment from material possessions. For, for that reason, Economics has has a kind of history of being an object of suspicion, in, at least in some parts of Christian thought and history. Right, that economics is is sort of necessary, but we shouldn't get too as Christians we shouldn't get too involved in finance or in money making practices, except to the kind of bare minimum necessary to keep things turning over, if you like. And some of the greatest heroes of Christian Christian history are people who gave everything up and who sort of didn't practice any economic activity at all. So I'm talking about you know famous examples like say Francis of Assisi and so on. So obviously as a, as a as a biblically informed practitioner, you're really on the front line of this. How do you, how can one correctly conduct oneself in a world where so much of life is about making money and particularly obviously in the world of finance and investment? Um, what does that look like and feel like as a Christian who's trying to follow biblical principles? I think you start with um, looking at the Bible itself. So there, there is a lot of cultural sort of understanding of you know what Jesus taught, what the Bible teaches about these things. Oftentimes, when we actually go back and check ourselves, like you know, fact check what the Bible said versus what we kind of heard culturally, it's actually importantly different. So you know, kind of a good example is money's the root of all evil. Well, the Bible doesn't say that actually. Right. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil is the actual scripture, which has a completely different, similar, but importantly, different meaning. So we have to. Yes, we we cannot serve both God and mammon. Absolutely. And, you know, Jesus did call certain people like the rich young ruler to go and sell everything precisely because that young man was serving mammon right? That was his idol. And Jesus calls all of us to toss our idols overboard today and follow him alone. For other people, their poverty could be their idol. There's all sorts of things that we can make idols in our life. Good things, bad things, you know, all sorts of things. Our our hearts are idol factories, famous theologian once said. So it's not just that, that money is not evil. Bible doesn't teach that. It does compete for in a very special way for our affections that should be rightly given to God. So as as investors, as anybody really living in our modern world where, you know, money makes the world go around sort of thing, right? It, like if we're going to care for our children, we need money. Caring for our children is good. Care for, you know, others and the poor is good. Well, how do we care for the poor if we don't have any money? So there's, and, and even Jesus, right? He didn't have material possessions that we can tell. But he had a whole bunch of people that followed him who did have material possessions that funded his ministry, and he didn't tell them to go sell everything. So there's uh, there's a reason that certain people, St. Francis of Assisi, others, have been given a special calling by God to forsake worldly wealth. That's fine. That's not a general calling to all people. And uh, others, there are many heroes of the faith, modern and in antiquity, who were very wealthy. And and yet heroes of the faith and some of them, you know, in the Bible listed, there's Lydia, for instance, you know, she was a dealer in, in purple and scarlet and what is a wealthy woman and funded ministry, funded the gospel, uh-huh. never asked to give up her, her wealth or business. So we need to and there and here's social Marxism again, just to bring back the connection there. Capitalism's not yeah. bad. Capitalism's not evil. It can be used for evil, just like Marxism and communism and all sorts of other things can be used for evil, but it can also be used for good. And so as stewards of whatever amount of money God has given you, 
if God has blessed you with a high income, you know, then praise the Lord. What are you doing with it to glorify God? Are you serving God with money or are you serving money as your God? Maybe you've got a small income. Maybe you just have a little bit. Maybe you've got the widow's might. Are you surrendering that to the Lord? Or are you clinging to it tightly out of, a, out of scarcity and, and, and fearing for your daily bread when you should be trusting the Lord? How much more does he care for you than the sparrows in the field and the lilies of the field? I mean, so on both sides of the equation, we are always drawn to sin and distrust in God, whether it's to trust in ourselves or just to fear and, and not trust God to provide if we don't have much. So it's, it is a, it is a huge issue. Uh -huh. It's a huge heart issue. And uh -huh. that's why Jesus said, where your heart is there, your treasure will be also. So um, there's a lot to be said there. Mm. So that's very that's interesting. So, interesting. so you said you compared capitalism to Marxism there and saying that they're both neither good nor evil, but can be used for both good or evil. Am I understanding you right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting because earlier it sounded more as if Marxism was seen as itself sort of a problem. It's just the way people are using Marxism. Yeah. Practical theology, yeah. practically speaking, it's a problem, right? How it's practiced, how it's implemented, how you know, historically, just look at the track record. It's, it's terrible. Okay. Uh, now, philosophically, sure, we could see, you know, this not necessarily going to lead to, doesn't have to lead to bad outcomes, but it kind of always has. And so we just have to be wise in this world, right? What are we going to pursue? Um, there's mm. the scripture, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, right? So mm -hmm. is there one, one specific political or economic system that is like holier than the rest? Not necessarily, but even though all things are permissible, maybe not all things are beneficial. So let's be careful about that. You know, if I have a tendency towards uh, drunkenness, I probably shouldn't be hanging out by bars, right? There's nothing necessarily wrong by walk, you know, about walking in front of a bar or even going in and hanging out with some friends. But if I've got personal issues there, I should probably use wisdom and not go there because of my history. So if there's a history, you know, Marxism has a bad history, continues to have, you know, problems we should probably just not go there not Robert, go can there, i right? that's very that's very interesting so can i just clarify this for 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 everybody listening so are you saying that different economic systems are if you like a matter of indifference it's not so important which economic system we're in it's more important how we how we relate to that system and what system, what ends that system is serving. So it's not that there's an economics that is Christian and then other economics that aren't Christian. It's more like there's a range of different ways of constructing our economic arrangements and we need to just look at their fruits and sort of take it case by case. I think so. I mean, what is what are, what are we here to do? Love God and love your neighbor. Those are the two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If, if there was a political or economic system that just, you know, canceled one or two of those out, that just by definition did not allow for those, then that would be, so perhaps communism, just, you know, because it generally, you know, disavows belief in God. I don't think by definition, communism has to disavow belief in God, but just practically speaking, that's how it's been played out, right? So that communism evil in that way. Uh, Marxism, very close cousin. And uh, that's, that's why those are problematic. But there's, you know, the Bible doesn't, lay out any sort of capitalist or otherwise socialist or any other sort of structure. And I, there yeah. are pundits that sort of try to make it that way, you know, like, well, obviously the Bible teaches capitalism or obviously the Bible teaches socialism. Well, obviously the Bible doesn't teach either of those. It teaches love God, love your neighbor. And as long as you're doing those things, then praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, so what are the, what structures can we put in place through wisdom that will help people to do those things, like be more helpful in just practical senses. And that might be different in different periods of history and in, in just different contexts, different social, con economic contexts, geographical. Slavery was in the Old Testament. There was there was slavery. Today, slavery has a bad taste in our mouth because we know what that has looked like in modern context. But back then it was much different. And the people willingly, oftentimes willingly became slaves and they 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 wanted to serve a good master because they were well taken care of for it. And, was, you know, just kind of like having a good job today. That's totally foreign to us right now, right? And so just these concepts of economics, I'm not saying we should go back to slavery, right? Because, but we also have to look at history and there were happy slaves back then. And, and so if, if I was going to be just to be devil's advocate for a second, some people or a lot of people actually say 
that capitalism, so thinking about this kind of the relationship between Christianity and particular economic systems, many people think that capitalism is like a kind of, it's like sort of institutionalizing selfishness, right? That this makes competition the fundamental mode of relationship between persons or indeed between communities and nations and so on. And various sort of schools of thought in, in Christian history and certainly the past couple of hundred years have rejected capitalism and still do for, for that kind of reason. What do you think about You obviously don't agree with that because you're happy to work within that system. But do you, to what extent is that a fair description of capitalism? And if it is, how does one relate that to a kind of biblical vision of love your neighbor, which is basically a vision of solidarity, it, right? Sure. I think humanity institutionalizes selfishness, just to be clear. So being a part of the fallen human race institutionalizes selfishness, no matter what economic system. I think it's a fair critique to say that capitalism, if it's going to err, will err on the side of enabling selfish ambition, which is clearly yeah. denounced in the Bible, right? Do not desire to be rich for it's a, you know, it's a trap to snare the devil. Many have fallen away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. First Timothy chapter six. That is certainly the big warning sign when it comes to capitalism. There's other warning signs when it comes to, you know, socialist agenda. It may not be the same sort of thing, but you have other issues like lack of freedoms and, you know, it leads to sort of the lack of ability for certain people to, to produce, you know, more to the glory of God. And it can lead to towards that totalitarian oppression and maybe selfishness among the elite and like social stratification, right? Where those who, uh, you know, taxes are so high, opportunities are so limited. How am I going to ever, you know, advance my life and my children? It becomes harder. Uh, and then you have this class system. So there's lots of different, there's problems with everything. Every, every nation, every person has to decide how they're going to operate within the time that God has allotted us to live, like here and now, right? We can talk about what worked, you know, hundred years ago, a thousand year, years ago, 2000 years ago, but we live today. So with the people God's put on the earth today, the history and the special unique time that we've gotten today, like what is the wisest way to love God, love your neighbor, given the, that framework? That's, that's been the task yeah. of every believer since the beginning of time. Yeah. That, so in, in that connection, maybe I can ask just a specific question, which we haven't talked about at all in the series. And you've already kind of indicated where you might stand about this, but I think it's useful to name it and just just um, you can say something explicit about it. There's obviously in in North America, but also in the global South, a tremendous popularity and influence of something which, at least to us, is known as the prosperity gospel. Right, the idea that if you're rich, it's because God is blessing you personally and God favors you and you've done good things. And if you're poor, it's because God hasn't or you haven't been good enough or whatever. That's right. We haven't talked about on the, that on this series at all. We haven't at all. And it's at the global scale. It's a it's a it's a huge issue, right? Loads of churches are preaching this. Is it is it true that wealth is a sign of God's blessing and poverty means you need to do better? Absolutely not. Prosperity gospel is not a gospel at all. And it's certainly not biblical teaching. You have I mean, it's. I don't know how anybody can miss this in Bible or real life. Like there are plenty of holy people who had no money, right? It's like the, the apostles, Jesus, I mean, go down the list. Uh, and there's a lot of wealthy people who, you know, were definitely not holy. And I mean, so it's, it's certainly not the case that uh, God's blessing equals financial prosperity. And I think the prosperity gospel in an actual prosperity gospel is not really seeking God. It's it's seeking wealth uh, and trying to use God as some sort of cosmic slot machine, you know, or vending machine. Like put put in my donations, push the right buttons, and I'm going to be blessed and get what I want. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not what God is here to do for you. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God is for you. Yes, God wants to bless you. But that doesn't always mean financially. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But if he doesn't bless you financially, are you going to be disappointed? Are you going to be sad about that? Or are you going to be content with what God, God gives you? Are you truly seeking him? Or like Judas, are you just seeking what you can get from him? And when things turn bad, you go turn him in for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, that, that is a scary teaching. Um, and it is sad to see many deceived by that. And, and I, it, it's a huge problem. So 
I, uh, the true gospel is love God, love your neighbor has nothing to do with loving wealth or expecting wealth from God. Could I put the question a little bit more subtly or in a nuanced way here? Because I mean, I think we can all agree that there are some pretty holy people who are poor and there are some pretty bad people who are rich, but one could make the argument that those are exceptions. And the general rule is that if you live a sort of virtuous and good and upright life, and if you're righteous and honest uh, and full of integrity, then that sort of naturally leads to success and prosperity because of the way that God created the world. Would you be more in line with that sort of a view? Yeah, so, so like a natural law sort of viewpoint, I think it's, it's certainly true and biblical that God has established certain principles that generally lead to a, a happy outcome for us here. It's not a secret formula that is uh, a mathematical certainty that I live a good life with X, Y, Z, and therefore I get you know this sort of financial benefit from it. But it is true that as we, uh, again, going about love, loving God, loving our neighbor in, in practical ways. So let's, as a company, we talked about caring for our workforce. All right, well, let's take care of the people who work for us. And, you know, they're generally going to be happier in their work, more productive employees. They're, they're going to produce better outputs. And that will probably result in a better financial return, especially over the long term for my business. That's a better, that's a wise decision, right? And there's many other wise decisions I can make that will help me in my life. Like I, if as a, just as a family, well, how am I investing? Am I putting everything into Bitcoin and hoping it works out? Well, that's probably, you know, maybe it works out, but that's not really wise. <laughs> Not really wise. So, you know, wisdom would be casting your bread upon the waters because, you know, in seven or eight portions because, you know, diversification helps. So let's let's diversify and and uh, yes, let's invest, but let's be prudent about it. Not in a greedy, selfish way, but prudence and saving for the future and caring for those that I'm, I am uh, entrusted with my, you know, my children, my family. There's, there's definitely wisdom that helps in life, but it's also true that I can live a very wise life, but God may have uh, in his sovereign will may have me suffer. And frankly, he, he, he will have us all suffer in different ways. And that might be financially. I know that's been true in my life. And, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm doing anything wrong. It could be the discipline from the Lord. Maybe I was sinning and this is his kind discipline to bring me to repentance and bring me back into under the fold of his protection, you know, in obedience. But maybe it's just like Job, you know, he wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong. God just allowed him to be tested so that he could prove the goodness and faithfulness of God and that God is worthy of all glory, regardless of my situations. You know, that's, that's the biblical message. And, you know, the, the only sure, true, guaranteed, you know, prosperity we can look forward to, if you want to call it that, is every, everyone who's put faith in Christ. We have a home in heaven. That is that is the guaranteed God's honest truth, and it is full of blessing forever and ever and ever, with no sadness, no sorrow, no sickness, no disease, no poverty. But that's in heaven. That's our promise. So, so let's continue putting our faith in a God who gives us such rich promises. Mm. And here in this life, I you know the the trials of this life, I don't even count them worthy to be compared with the future glories that wait for me in heaven. That's that's our attitude as Christians. Mm. So this is more on the on the personal level of pe people making life choices um, and people thinking about what they do with their time and maybe how they support themselves and sustain themselves. Do you think that <clears throat> to work in sort of finance or, or or investment or these kinds of industries that are very focused on on profit per se and on money per se rather than some material product, do Christians in those in those kinds of work face particular temptation or particular a particular Challenges. challenge to not yeah. become over attached to money i'm thinking about um one of the texts that's in my mind as we're, as we're talking is is hard for a camel to get through the eye of a needle for a rich man to enter the kingdom of god right and seeing that in light of what you said before right that actually the the, the rich and the poor are equally called to be detached from material wealth and both will be as it were judged by 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 whether they did that Jesus seems to be saying in that text that rich people, so to speak, are in, a, if you like, an objectively more difficult situation 
Because in some way, it's much more difficult to live by the values of the kingdom if you're wealthy. Do you think that working in finance or in investment is to is to expose oneself to to that risk more than other people say? And how do you relate to that personally? How do you kind of relate to that that choice? I think it is true that um, along with greater wealth comes greater responsibility, just like any other. You know, he, he who has been given much, whether it's money or other stewardship, you know, responsibilities, much will be required. Just like a teacher, you know, not all should desire to be teachers because we're, they're held to a higher account. So I think that's a true biblical principle that God gives us what we're able to handle. He's not going to, to give us something uh, that's so burdensome or some responsibility that is going to crush our soul because we're not ready for it. But we, we need to be sober-minded about that. So if God has blessed you financially, it, there's a sober-minded approach that, wow, I mean, there is a higher standard there, I think, and there's a greater risk because money can draw our hearts uniquely away from God. And so that's that's true. Now, for those who work in finance, I think it would be similar to, again, those who work in teaching the Bible, let's say, right? We It is our special stewardship to influence, if you're a financial advisor or an asset manager, influence the decisions, investing decisions of, of other people. If it's true that where our heart is, there our treasure will be also, or where our, actually where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, I can get it right. So the Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've literally been given the, the ability to place and direct people's treasure. That means their heart is going to be drawn along after that. So there's this stewardship responsibility that I have as a financial professional to be mindful that my decisions and my work have consequences in other people's lives. Um, and that is true, not just in this in this field, but, you know, in many other ways, uh, in many other jobs, right? We just need to, what is the responsibility beyond just me? What effect does my life, my work have on others? Is it redemptive or not? And uh, hopefully we're intentional about being redemptive. Thanks, Robert. Great answer. That was so great, Robert. Really, really illuminating. And this is a this is a perspective we just haven't had in this in this conversation. We've had a lot of a lot of conversation about economic uh, philosophy and about um, the relationship to ideas, but not so much conversation about practice. And that's been super illuminating. So, yeah, so thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time for this. It's been a really enjoyable conversation. Appreciate you guys so much. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Robert. Right. God bless. God bless. Thank you for listening to Faith at the Frontiers, a podcast produced in collaboration with The Tablet. If you liked this episode, then do subscribe to hear more like it in the future. For now, goodbye. Goodbye.